Welcome to Inside the Founder Studio with the California Technology Council, where we bring you perspectives directly from startup founders and investors in every episode. Now we turn to our host in our Northern California headquarters, Matt Gardner, founder of the California Technology Council. In the usual end-of-year rush of reports on trends and forecasts, one report jumped out to us as a great summary of the venture ecosystem. We asked CB Insights to join us and tell us more. First, here's a quick word from our sponsors at Office Depot. Leading a startup team? Hi, this is Janet McTaggart with Office Depot. Whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or setting up a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture. From getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo, Office Depot can help. Learn about how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all these startup essentials and more at californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. Thank you, Janet. And for all the latest that CTC is up to, be sure to check out californiatechnology.org. Back to CB Insights, which produced its 2016 Tech IPO Pipeline report just ahead of the end of the year. The report scores a total of 531 companies with the potential to go public and raise capital in 2016. Symbolic of the intelligence in the report, just days after its issue, Nutanix filed for its IPO. On this episode of Inside the Founder Studio, we're talking with Anand Sanwal of CB Insights. Anand, thanks for taking the time with us today. Thanks for having me. So CB Insights has just recently put out a, a 2016 tech IPO trends report. Anand, can you start by giving us a, the top line of that uh, report and what your key findings were? Yeah, sure thing. So, um, so every year we put out this report that tries to look at kind of the, the most promising private tech companies in the U.S. Um, we think of them as sort of the future S&P 500. Um, so this year's report had 531 companies, all generally of a $100 million valuation or greater, um, and kind of looked at sort of trends within those companies and then tried to identify some of the companies that we thought are the most likely to go public in 2016 specifically. Um, so that was kind of the nature of the report. I think this is the first year of the report that we noticed a few things, one of them being this phenomena that we called sort of drag to IPO. Uh, which is in the past sort of going public was always viewed as this this uh, this sign of success at the end of a long sort of hard uh, entrepreneurial journey. You know, I think right now um, there's some companies that might get pushed into going public because um, the private markets close up on them. So that was something new that we saw this year. Um, and then this was also the first time we sort of had a a smaller pipeline. I think a lot of that was driven just by our technology that's helping us kind of sift through companies in a, in a, in a better way. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, lots of, lots of very promising tech companies that are, have raised a lot of money in the private markets. So, um, you know, we're expecting 2016 should be a bigger year for IPOs. Um, of course, 2015 was quite bad, so we're also working off of a, of a low base. So among your kind of key findings in the trend line, uh, 2015 saw a dip from 2014 in the number of deals. Can you talk about the kind of overall climate reasons for that? 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, in, so I think a big part of it is that uh, investors are doubling down on their winners. So we're seeing lots of very large mega financings into a smaller group, or it's actually an increasingly larger group of private companies. So um, when we look at sort of the amount of funding that's been raised by these IPO pipeline companies, you know, it's a pretty staggering number. So it's something like $89 billion has gone into these companies. So, um, you know, so there's a lot of money chasing these companies, and it's not just from venture capitalists. It's mutual funds, hedge funds, sovereign wealth funds. Um, and so, you know, if you're a perceived winner with lots of momentum and addressing a big market, there's a lot of money chasing you. And so, um, you know, the overall number of companies that might be getting chased is is, you know, flat to, to maybe a bit down versus what we had in the report last year. But those companies that are, that are in the pipeline are able to raise just gargantuan amounts of money um, prior to going public. So, Anand, one of the uh, interesting things that we've noted is that we have listeners from all over the world, but obviously as the California Technology Council, we're concerned about how California is doing. How did it stack up in looking ahead at the, at the 2016 uh, tech IPO pipeline? Yeah, I mean, from a geography perspective, you know, Silicon Valley, I mean, California and specifically Silicon Valley is, is a trendsetter. You know, that's where um, the majority of these companies are based, uh, you know, New York and Massachusetts being the other two big markets uh, within the states. Um, so that's kind of, you know, to be expected. I think the Valley is a leading indicator for, uh, you know, really where the rest of technology is often going. Um, and so I think, you know, even international markets look to look to California and specifically Silicon Valley for, you know, emerging business models, technologies, even kind of methods of marketing and the like. So, um, so you know, as in years past, the pipeline was was pretty dominated by uh, by California companies. I can get you the data in a in a second, but yeah, it's. Um, it's it's always sort of the case from a funding from an exit perspective and and you know it sort of carries forward for the pipeline. So, of the 531 companies in the pipeline, 55% were in California. So 291 of them out of out of 531 were in California, and then a very distant second was New York, which has kind of taken over as a tech hub versus its East Coast neighbor, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, which is number three at 44 pipeline companies, but you can see the gap is is pretty material with with Cali leading. Not all of that is Silicon Valley. Uh, you know, Los Angeles, Southern California also has a a pretty thriving scene, but you know, within that 291, the majority is still uh, in the sort of SF Bay Area, Silicon Valley region. Amazing. Now, one of the novelties that uh, CB Insights has developed is your mosaic score, which it takes in all kinds of inputs to measure uh, company dynamics. Can you talk about how you developed mosaic and, and the kinds of things that it incorporates? Yeah, sure thing. So, um, so the sort of the, the roots behind it really come from, uh, you know, my time and my co-founder's time at American Express. So the challenge with these private companies, especially high-growth private companies, is they're incredibly difficult to understand. They, unlike the IBMs and Googles of the world, don't have to file public financials quarterly and on an annual basis. Um, and so as a result, it's hard to understand them. So if you're an investor looking to invest and acquire um, a business development person, a bank looking to lend to them, it's difficult. So a few years ago, we went to the National Science Foundation and said, hey, we think that there's all this data exhaust on the web. 
that we can use to assess the health and momentum of these companies, um, you know, and identify the ones that aren't doing well as well as those that are. Um, you know, we were fortunate that the NSF believed in the idea, gave us um, a little over a million dollars in grants to, to build it out. And what we're doing is pulling in, as you mentioned, kind of all these non-traditional signals. So everything from web traffic and mobile app data to news sentiment and chatter to hiring statistics to um, classification of partnership, customer signings, um, and kind of smashing all those together and sort of, you know, as a result, you get this mosaic of information on a company. Um, and so we're using that to help determine which companies are in the pipeline, right? And so we want to see companies that have uh, ideally quality investors that are in a market, uh, which we think of as the money score, uh, that are in a market that's in favor and that's growing. So that's kind of the market score. And then finally, that are exhibiting strength along some of those dimensions I mentioned, which is an indication of momentum. So those sort of three M's, market, money, and momentum, collectively make up this mosaic score that we, that we give to companies. Um, and we highlighted in the report actually five companies that we thought would go public um, in 2015, or 2016 rather, and interestingly, it's been, I think, four days or five days since the report was issued, and actually Nutanix, which was highlighted as one of the companies in that sort of select group of five, has just yesterday filed its S1 to go public. So, um, so you know, we think it's, uh, it's a really great way of sort of getting a... Uh, a early bird view into sort of what the next big companies are going to be. Yeah, just a curiosity too. I mean, you obviously hit it with uh, Nutanix, and of the top five in your uh, 2016 pipeline report, two of the top five actually scored a 910 out of a thousand. Are those the highest scores that you've seen, or has anybody hit close to a thousand on this? Yeah, I think probably the highest we've seen, I don't know where they are right now, uh, over time is Uber, right? Mm. So Uber's kind of an outlier in many regards. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, 910 is sort of your top 1% of companies. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, if you think of it a bit like a FICO score, right, there's very few people at the upper, upper end of that spectrum, so it's not evenly distributed. It tends to be, um, you know, a lot more people sort of in the middle. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, these, uh, a couple of these companies like uh, MuleSoft and Okta, which we have up top, are definitely sort of in rarefied territory with, with the scores of 9, 10 that they have. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the... Um the investment or the investor tracking that you're doing on them. So you've got sure. some great detail in the uh, pipeline report about who the top investors are by the number of your uh, pipeline scored companies that they participated in. Among the things that I found surprising reading through this is the number of investments that each of these firms did that were seed. And so it seems like lots of the money, especially in software, has moved to a later stage, but there was plenty of seed investment represented here. What, what were the kinds of things that surprised you when, when you compiled this data? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what we try to look at is the number of companies that you have in the pipeline as an investor, which we think is interesting. But, you know, as a, to assess a venture investor, we think the ability to get in early to these companies is what's probably the most impressive. Um, and so that's why we broke out kind of 
you know, not just who the investors were, but then what stage they got in. And then to your point, you know, many of them got in early, which is, you know, which I think is the, the hallmark of a great VC is, you know, getting in early to companies and sort of being able to see around corners. Um, you know, I think a lot of the names here are not surprising, right? You have Sequoia and Andreessen and Kleiner Perkins, Excel, NEA were sort of our top five. So some of your blue chip kind of investors, you know, you see then uh, number at number six was Goldman Sachs. So not, you know, necessarily somebody, not a firm that I think folks necessarily associate with um, with technology investing in private companies. But, you know, Goldman isn't taking the early stage bets necessarily. They make them occasionally, but they're generally looking for later stage proven companies. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think what you see when you start to dive into some of these firms is, you know, who's, tend, who's getting in early, who's getting in later. There is, um, you know, especially over the last year, there's been sort of this FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, and so there's a lot of firms that do invest you know, kind of they chase logos because they want to have that on their portfolio page. Um, but, you know, the, the really good VCs are getting into companies early, and that's what we're trying to – we're trying to highlight not just the number of IPO pipeline companies that some of these investors have, but who is getting in early and sort of showing that ability to make kind of these prescient bets uh, before the companies are, are clear sort of winners. Now, obviously, one way to um – to become a unicorn is to have a, a consumer uh, entry that actually does reach the level of consumer market penetration. You've actually included a few of those in the, the top sort of skimming highlights of the unicorn club that you've summarized here. But that market is incredibly finicky and um, tough to predict. So companies like Airbnb and, and Uber, of course, are, um, are somewhat household names, at least in the technology community. But BuzzFeed and, and a few of the others that you've got here, Stripe are doing, Snapchat even doing uh, uh, a very good job of, of reaching kind of consumer penetration levels. What were the other yeah. uh, sort of trends that you could glean from the, the tops of the Unicorn Club? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing, when you look at our top five picks, like those are all very B2B enterprise-y type of companies. Um, and so, um, you know, I think that's one of the things we're going to see in 2016 is that, companies that have this sort of predict, uh, slightly more sort of predictable revenue, um, the sort of more traditional businesses in some sense that are, and that are often or generally not household names, they're not Pinterest, they're not Snapchat, they're not Airbnb, um, are probably going to be the ones that are going to see receive sort of a better reception if they test the public markets, um, you know, security, analytics, those types of companies kind of are um, ones that have at least been, there's been a little bit more receptivity to, you know, your point on the consumer side and the finicky aspect or nature of it, I mean, it's definitely true. And so, you know, uh, the wins on the consumer side tend to be much bigger, right? So when you do have a win like, you know, Facebook, for instance, like they kind of are bigger, they swallow up all the rest of the wins in venture, but they... Um, but, you know, building a massive consumer tech company is difficult. And if you look at Twitter, for instance, which went public, you know, you kind of see you need a certain amount of scale um, to really, really sort of thrive as a, as a public consumer tech company. So I think we generally see the private consumer tech companies, you know, they are the less likely maybe to go public um, imminently. Um, 
just because, you know, they need to show growth, they need to show the ability to monetize that set of consumers that they've attracted, and it's, um, you know, doing both of those things is challenging. But, um, but yeah, to, you know, you mentioned kind of some of the great names that are in there. You have, you have Airbnb, you have Pinterest, you have Snapchat. You know, I think they're all at different levels of sort of evolution. You have, um, you know, Airbnb that's probably the furthest along. Um, and then I think the other interesting sort of consumer play is, kind of the media side, right? So you have folks like BuzzFeed um, that are trying to sort of rethink how media works. And again, with a, um, with not a B2B perspective, but with a, um, you know, definitely sort of a consumer-driven media enterprise. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of interesting companies here. It's also where there's probably going to be, um, where there's probably the risk of the most casualties as well. Anand, one of the other things that uh, came through in the in the Unicorn Club was the security trend. So companies like Cloudflare and Illumio and Okta, you've you've certainly got a uh, a thread running through here that emphasizes the sensitivity of security. So um, do you see that as being one of the key issues for 2016 in in IPOs and otherwise? Yeah, I mean, as a sort of sectoral level trend, you know, we think that that one's going to continue. Um, you know, there's really no there's really no reason to believe that security concerns are not going to intensify, right? You have, um, you know, enterprises worried about sort of external people getting into their systems. They worry about people internally taking, you know, secretive inf- or kind of private information out. They worry about client level data. So there's really no limit, I think, as, as sort of device, as, with this explosion in devices and things that we have and just kind of computing overall, you know, there's no reason to believe that security is going to decline. We're seeing a ton of investment continue into that realm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's one of those sort of, uh, sort of underlying waves that's going to help a lot of companies. Um, and, you know, the challenges are, are pretty massive. And, and, you know, I think when we talk to our corporate clients, you know, especially CIO offices, a lot of, a lot of them have seen security bubble up to board-level conversations. And so when you have, you know, the board of directors of a public company thinking about security, you know, that means that there's budget not very far behind. And so obviously that's a good thing for, for some of these security companies that, that, have, uh, that are meeting some of those needs and, and addressing some of those challenges. Uh, obviously the overall size of the pipeline looks terrific. The companies that have raised nine digits and, you know, the 531 total companies that you've tracked in this pipeline report. So the pipeline itself yeah. looks great. But we've already seen interest rates go up, and we know it's an election year. What are the kinds of black swans that could impact the overall tech pipeline for 2016? Yeah, I mean, if I could predict black swans, I'd be probably doing – I'd probably start a hedge fund. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, think the, I think the reality here, you know, I don't know if it's a black swan as much as just let me, let's look at the data and see what challenges are coming down the pipeline. So, you know, uh, the interest rate thing, like – uh, you know the macro argument. I think that's been going on for a while, and that sort of makes sense. I would say if you're a startup or VC who whose uh, business and the ability to you know provide a return to your investors or to your employees or whoever is contingent upon 25 basis point increments and the Fed funds rate, like you probably have a bigger problem. Um, so I would say that. Um, you know, the things that we're seeing 
kind of the big thing that we're seeing is that there's going to be some companies who are not going to be at, be able to continue to access the private markets, and so I think that's the that's going to be sort of the interesting phenomenon of 2016, which is uh, a company which maybe raised a bunch of money at a quite a large valuation that was giving it a lot of credit for future growth today um, may, because its performance doesn't uh, live up to expectations, run into challenges raising additional money in the private markets, um, or it may need to raise, or it can raise in the private markets, but with kind of onerous terms, you know, those companies are going to get sort of pushed into going public. And so I think that's one of the things that we haven't observed before. And, and you know, as things tighten up, um, that's going to become, I think, increasingly prevalent. It's sort of, do I roll the dice? Do I take a down round in the private markets, or do I roll the dice and see if we can get, um, you know, the public markets to, to give us a, you know, sort of be a proverbial up round? Um, so, you know, I think that's going to that's gonna be something we see a lot. We're already, as we look at the Q4 financing data, the numbers are pretty drastically down. Um, and so I think... Um, you know, there's a lot of belt tightening happening and sentiment with investors is shifting to be a little bit more cautious to negative. Um, and so the implications on companies, you know, and that, that those implications go beyond just the pi pipeline companies, you know, even companies raising their Series A or Series B round. Um, this all trickles down to, you know, the entire ecosystem from the pipeline all the way down to early stage. Obviously, there are a lot of factors involved, but yeah, the push factor you've mentioned a couple of times is at least one of the yeah. downsides of raising $180 million in private capital, right? That's, uh, there's just nowhere else to go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you raise so much at a big valuation, you, know, you do a few things. One, you, you limit the, the pool of natural acquirers for you. Um, you know, there's not many companies that can absorb or, or have the appetite for billion, two billion, three, five billion dollar acquisition. So you have a reduced pool of folks that can buy you. And when you look at this year's data, I think Google and even Cisco, who are still active, have not done as many sort of mega deals as they have in the past. Um, and so you have this, uh, this um, limit of demand on the acquisition side. And then when it comes to, and so then you're forced to basically raise more money, um, uh, you know, until you're, um, you know, until you can justify going public. And, um, you know, at some point investors, um, if, you know, you look at a case like Uber where they continue to grow super quickly and there's sort of this insatiable appetite for investment in Uber, um, that's not the norm, right? I would say, uh, you know, most companies, and you look at like Dropbox, for example, you know, they've uh, got a lot of credit for future value in, you know, up front, and they're trying to grow into that valuation, and that's fine if you keep growing, but then they started to slow down, um, and, and so then, you know, they're one of the ones that I think, you know, has that potential to be dragged into to IPO, and then you look at their public market comp, like Box, you know, and look at its valuation relative to, to Dropbox, there's definitely a, a public-private, uh, you know, sort of gap there. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's the risk, is if, if, if things continue to go exceedingly well, um, you know, everybody's happy and they'll keep putting money into you. But as soon as you don't perform perfectly, which is sort of what you're – which is what these valuations are often expecting um, – that's when sort of that reckoning, that day of reckoning can come, and, and then 
you know, that's not, uh, it's not so pretty. Uh, and then the challenge right now, especially in this market, is that there's so many companies that are hungry for talent that, you know, we see it all the time, and we have a lot of clients who actually use this to try to identify companies that maybe, you know, with that mosaic score, you could look for great companies. You could also look for companies faltering. Um, and so there's sort of a phenomenon where there's blood in the water there, right? And so you say, okay, it looks like there's some companies that are struggling. Let's get our internal HR team, our recruiters kind of calling every one of their salespeople or calling every one of their engineers and seeing if we can poach them. So, you know, then this sort of vicious cycle starts where once there's some negative momentum, it can start to feed on itself and, and you know, talent starts getting plucked away, which just sort of accelerates the demise of a company. So just one more question for you specifically about this pipeline report, and, and uh, we've got room for, for other topics here, but no, most of the companies that are summarized in, in this coverage of the pipeline are in categories that, uh, that you know, lots of folks in the technology community would think of as kind of their everyday bread and butter, uh, you know, disruptors in, in enterprise and CRM and big data and, and that sort of stuff. And occasionally you get an outlier in a market that seems to be mature, whether it's Howes or Warby Parker in a vertical that yeah. already seems to be completely built out. And, and so there's a, yeah. maybe a surprise factor with some of those. Were there some of those examples that actually surprised you or caught you off guard that you didn't expect to see when you were pulling together these scores? I mean, I think there's, you know, sometimes the things that surprise me, for instance, are companies that are kind of off the grid. So an example is Domo, right, which is sort of this company in Utah. And Salt Lake has sort of got this, something in the water there where, you know, companies get built that are sort of bootstrapped or kind of revenue funded for a while and then they come out of the gates, you know, and raise this giant round. Um, and so Domo is one of those companies that I think is, you know, kind of not necessarily in a sector that's not, you know, popular. It's, you know, it's a business intelligence. So that's not particularly sort of avant-garde in that sense. But where it's coming from is, you know, Salt Lake City, and it's not coming from one of the big venture hubs. I think sometimes seeing those folks jump up in the scores is kind of always interesting. You know, I did expect when we did our top five that maybe there'd be a consumer tech company that would jump in. You know, I thought, um, you know, I don't know, does Pinterest kind of make its way in there? But when we looked at Mosaic scores, you know, it was it was so heavily enterprise. That was, I think, a little bit unexpected for us. Um, but, you know, um, I, I'll say that we look at this data all the time, so I'm not... Uh, I'm not generally too surprised when I'm when I am too when I do get very surprised and then that's probably gives me more concern than anything because we sort of live and breathe this information. But yeah, I think the the enterprise focus and you know companies like Domo, for instance, that might be a little bit off the grid um, are kind of interesting to me um, as far as uh, you know companies I might not have expected just because you know. Consumer tech companies especially tend to take most of the oxygen out of the room. They get most of the coverage, and then behind that you get Silicon Valley coverage tends to be paramount. So uh, sometimes when companies that uh, you, know, you don't hear about often show up high, that's it's an interesting sign. You mentioned the term live and breathe, and obviously this is the kind of material that CB Insights lives and breathes. You generate reports like this uh, all the time, and sometimes they're vertical and sometimes they're uh, you know, in a uh, in a venture category, uh, is there a um, a CB Insights uh, roadmap to thought leadership, or 
is this just part of the massive pile of data that you're sitting on that you're mining through all the time? Yeah, I mean, so we, we sit on a bunch of data, and I think, um, you know, the, what we've been trying to do more and more recently is, um, you know, not just tell you what's happened, but tell you where the world is going. Um, and so, you know, Mosaic is kind of one example of that. So sort of predictive intel into not just what companies are going to be big, but, you know, if you're a corporation and you're looking at trying to figure out what markets to invest in and, what pro you know, where you should build products. So I think, you know, this idea of taking all this data and helping you assess what's next um, or understanding, you know, if you compete with, I don't know, Google or AT&T, trying to understand what their strategy is next. But, again, all of it, with data as the as the, the sort of platform level that drives all these decisions or these these uh, recommendations, it's not we're not an analyst firm, we're not a research firm, we're not a consulting firm. It's all kind of built on this foundation of data. So I, you know, I think of us as um, to some degree like becoming and you know uh, an algorithmic McKinsey, right? So the idea that you can you know, ask really interesting and hard questions of, uh, you know, and get answers using data instead of sort of, and probability versus punditry. Um, that's a lot of what we're doing, right? So um, who's the next big company? What's the next hot market? What's Google's next move? You know, who's the next customer that I should be attacking? I think those are kind of the interesting questions that we think data can answer in a way that's a lot more rigorous and, and a lot more intelligent than sort of just having an analyst kind of, kind of guesstimate things. Anand, what do you guys have coming up next? Are you doing anything around CES or the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference? Do you have things lined up for early in 2016? Yeah, so, I mean, we're going to do our 2015 kind of venture roundup, right, looking at sort of, you know, overall how the year close out. So I think Q4 is going to be... Um, I think people are, it's going to give people some pause. It, like, at least, you know, of course, there's still a few more days left, so we could see a, a, a rash of deals and, and big investments, but it looks to be pretty down. So 2015, early 2015, we'll see that. We're doing some sort of cheat sheets for CES, so just trying to help people who are going to be there sort of understand the companies that are there and sort of, you know, if they are interested in early-stage wearables companies, you know, knowing who who's going to be there and, and who to target. Um, uh, and then we'll be doing a little bit more on corporate ventures. So kind of, you know, a big area of focus for us is on the corporate side, so understanding, um, you know, what's happening from a, uh, a corporate venture perspective. That's another sort of report that we'll be issuing in the early part of uh, 2016. Uh, Anand, where can uh, listeners find the pipeline report and other uh, thought leadership reports that CB Insights is putting out? Sure. Um, so uh, we're at cbinsights.com um, is the main site, and the uh, and you know a, a lot of our kind of content, our reports are at CB, our research blog, which is cbinsights.com/blog. Um, and you know, if you go there, you'll be able to find all of our reports, including uh, the Tech IPO pipeline report, and you know all the other kind of smaller research briefs that we're doing as well, and number of infographics that we we do pretty regularly every every few days. That's great stuff. This has been Anand Sanwal of CB Insights. Thanks very much for your time today. Thank you.
keep an eye out for our upcoming podcasts on digital health and cybersecurity, as well as our continued series of conversations with leaders from incubators and accelerators. And of course, for the latest on our news, member benefits, and events, always be sure to check out californiatechnology.org. For sound on this episode, CTC is grateful to Scott Fowler and Scott Horwath for the two songs that you've heard here. This has been Inside the Founder Studio with the California Technology Council. We look forward to visiting with you again next time. Inside the Founder Studio is produced in Northern California by the California Technology Council. 